What's shaking, all of you golfing buffoons? This episode of the Golf Guide podcast is brought to you by Golf Guide and GolfGuide.net. On this episode of the podcast, Casey and I go through all 36 proposed rule changes uh, that the USGA and RNA are considering implementing into the rules of golf. Uh, and just to give your phone storage a little bit of a break, we have divided this thing into two parts because we ended up recording uh, for about an hour and a half or maybe even a little bit more. So uh, this is part one. And uh, again, part two will be released uh, most likely simultaneously or within a couple of hours uh, from this one uh, being published. So without any further delay, another episode of the Golf Guide podcast, everybody. Yes, trained audio. I agree. I say, I, you want to just get going? Yes. Okay. Um. Well, hey, man. It's good to be back. Good to see you. <laughs> Are we going to pretend like we haven't spent like a half hour to an hour socializing? Uh, we've we've been sitting here drinking and just relaxing, and not we haven't been in too too much of a rush to begin this golf podcast because it, it was going to happen eventually. It's still. I, I understand there's WGC events and and major world ranking fields etc but it still isn't really the golf season until the masters mm -hmm. so we're still kind of in winter dormancy berenstein bear kind of <laughs> golf mode it's kind of funny because like i i couldn't tell you the exact number of days until the master starts even though instagram insists on giving me a daily countdown uh, but i just can't be bothered to really pay too much attention to it i look at the nice pictures of the 12th hole at augusta and i just keep scrolling um but we're within 30 days. That much I know. That's great. Which is which is fantastic. But the Masters is not the subject of this podcast. I think we're going to be doing our next podcast. That's as a teaser, a, folks. As, as an early sort of Masters storylines to watch slash preview type of deal. But um, some pretty significant changes happened uh, last week. We've had a couple days to marinate on them. So... Well, I think we should discuss and kind of go over some of the, the most significant proposed rule changes that the USGA and RNA have uh, collectively agreed on and are planning on implementing here on the next set of rules of golf. Um, I would love to. <laughs> I would I, also. Yeah. I, hear they've, uh, I hear they've added gimmies to the rules. <laughs> if it's inside uh, three feet, it's a gimme. Is that one of the new rules? Um, well, th that is definitely the what they're trending towards. I think the most interesting thing is that a lot of these rules are basically, they're making things more relaxed. Um, they're not going to, you know, a lot of the things that were super penalizing that most recreational golfers never paid attention to or uh, subscribed to anyway are things that the, the rules of golf have now just done away with. So I think a lot of golfers won't even notice a difference because they never actually played by the rules anyway. Right. I think that'll be, <laughs> that'll be most of what happens. But I think the, the few people that do, you know, play by the rule, like a st strictly play by the rules. Well, you know, men's clubs and yeah, leagues yeah. and things like that. They, they make a difference. They This will make a, a big difference for those people, and I think they'll find that it's going to make scoring um, easier because they don't... I feel like a lot of these rules have made it so you don't really have to be on edge as much. Um, you know, case in point, like the first one we'll go over, for instance, is uh, the DJ rule, where now, you know, after Dustin Johnson's U.S. Open last year, if you inadvertently move the ball uh, unintentionally from touching like the putting surface, something like that, um, there's no penalty. And you have to replace the ball, I'm assuming, right? I, I, I do believe so. We'll, we'll get to that one. Well, see, that's but that, that's like the the most 
uh, discussed one that's happened so far. Right. Well, it, I have a question about sure. it. Can we talk about it? We, we can talk about anything we want. So, okay, you you ground your club or whatever. The ball moves through no fault of your own, a partial rotation, whatever. You have to move it back, right? And so you still would be penalized for playing from the wrong spot if you don't put it back? Or is that what they changed? That is a phenomenal question. And it's not, at least in the article that I'm referencing for the podcast today, um, all they say is if a player accidentally moves his or her ball or ball marker on the putting green, where there used to be a one-stroke penalty with a couple of exceptions, the new rule states there will be no penalty. But it doesn't say anything about whether or not you play the ball from the moved position. See, that's interesting, but I think the Dustin Johnson situation, if I recall, he noticed it and didn't play before he had summoned the rules official for right. consultation. But if it's so subtle that you don't notice it and you play, then I guess you're still subject to breaking the rule for playing from the wrong spot. Yeah, I would think Although so. Although that, that would come up less often, but it is still a factor to be considered. Mm-hmm. But it's a good rule change. Yeah. And, and even though Dustin Johnson, I mean, we I think, you know, in, in the real world, he did move he did cause the ball to move just by, you know, dicking around near the ball like we all do. Right. But it isn't fair to no, punish I, somebody for that. And I think the thing is like, yes, he did move the ball, but if you know, if the ball moves, you know, a millimeter, um, like I mean, what kind of a fucking advantage is that? It does makes no difference. So is the rule change just on the putting surface? So th- there's actually several rules changes that have happened regarding like a ball at rest, and and that is one of them. So let's let's start there. Just go over the couple rules changes that have to do with a ball sitting and you moving or impeding its you know initial position. So there's that one on the putting greens. Um, a player who accidentally moves his or her, I mean you know. For the few women that play golf, it's in smaller. <laughs> font. It's in smaller font that the USGA puts out. Uh, not, if, that, not that they should. If they move their ball during a search, accidentally, um, that used to be a one-stroke penalty. There now will be no more, more no penalty for that. Good. Yeah. Good. I, a lot of these seem like common sense, and again, like well, I said before, that's something most people wouldn't have given themselves a stroke for anyway, unless they were playing in you know strictly playing with tournament rules. I think that a lot of these rules were. Uh, insurance in the past against total scumbags yes who would pretend like something happened accidentally and innocently but in reality they were they were moving the ball and so they would come up with a rule where I you know if it changed due to anything it's a penalty but you know golf has alienated people long enough with these unwarranted penalties so I think I agree with that change. It, it's natural. When you're looking around for a ball, you're moving mm-hmm. stuff, you're stepping places. Do you mind if I go off on a small uh, off-topic real quick regarding this? Not at all. Do you think a lot of these rules changes are a response to the game um, decreasing in popularity and people viewing it as kind of a douchey, overbearing, too-many-rules type game that's just too complex to pick up for somebody who's not familiar with it or hasn't spent their whole life being introduced to the game as... You know, more of a, hey, we're a little more welcoming. We're not as douchey as you thought. You know, there's not as many rules, and it's not as penalizing a game. It's it's no longer going to be a, a good walk spoiled. It's just going to be fun hitting the ball from A to B. Or do you think this actually is genuinely better for the game and has nothing to do with it getting people to come, I guess, you know, 
experience the game who haven't done so before? It's it's absolutely both. Okay. It's absolutely both. The powers that be in the golf world have a real erection for growing the game and making it accessible and such et cetera, a gay, et cetera. such a gay hashtag that goes around on, on Facebook. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I want more people to play golf, but the, the whole grow the game mm. hashtag, you know, thing is just so lame. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to grow the game so long as it's still golf. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think these rule changes, you know, it is still golf, but really what it is, you know, they're doing it undercover of making the game more accessible and, you know, let's make it more friendly. But these were just bad rules. A lot of the, I'm not sure that'll be the case with every rule that we go over. But sure. These overly harsh rules where people didn't do anything wrong, veteran golfers hated them. You saw uh, professional golfers hate these rules. Yeah. So there's no real reason to keep them. They're just sort of traditional, and golf has a hard time changing. They are but, a bit antiquated. But they don't change the nature of the game. I agree. And again, most people who are, you know, most weekend warriors. It's not going to make any difference because these are all rules that that they you know they played by what the rule has been changed to rather than what it was before anyway. They really do. Yeah. So and and that's an interesting point. I, I'll try not to get too. We love going off topic on this. Podcast. No, no, it's not off topic exactly. I'll try not to get too academic here. <laughs> but in studying history, especially history of you know several hundred years ago, mm-hmm. a good way to figure out. Uh, what misconduct society was engaging in or what conduct society was engaging in would be to look at the laws that were passed that would criminalize things or that would prohibit things. Hmm. Because generally, people only make rules against stuff that happens. Right. So it used to be that, you know, in the past, there would be some sort of governing body that would need to keep control over something and they would... uh, they would see these sort of minor infractions and they would create big rules out of them. So that's what happened in golf. It's the same thing that happened in countries and and societies. And now we understand that those were sort of just control mechanisms and a lot of them don't serve a purpose. Hmm. So how long is it before too many fucking people take advantage of these rule changes and they have to switch them back? I don't think... At least in tournament play. I don't think it'll happen. Okay. Not from the ones we've discussed so far. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay, uh, a couple more for ball uh, yeah, balls yeah. and rest. Okay, uh, more stand- balls, <laughs> more balls coming out of our mouths into the microphones. You, you, okay, Jesus. The standard for deciding whether the player caused his or her ball to move. The current rule is weight of the evidence, uh, or is it more likely than not that that was the case? The new rule will be that the player will be found to be the cause only when it is known or quote virtually certain meaning at least 95 percent to be the case what you're a lawyer you're you're an attorney what the fuck does that mean that is a real (laughs) lawyery thing (laughs) so the old standard used to be what's called the preponderance of the evidence standard they call it the weight of the evidence standard it's the standard in civil cases in the united states and they basically just don't change. make our listeners go to sleep. Keep going, though. They, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> bad enough already. It is a rules podcast, everybody. Okay, please. Yes. They have changed it to sort of like a watered down criminal standard. I think that's a, an unnecessary rules change because it's still a judgment call. Right. 
It's just um, now, rather than being 50-50 before, it's now 95-5? Is, yeah. is, that, is that what I'm un- understanding this to mean? Yeah, it's just a thumb on the scale in favor of the player. Okay. But if you can move the ball back without a penalty, then who gives a fuck anyway? Right. So it seems like it, it doesn't make much they're just difference. trying to cover their asses from the Dustin Johnson fiasco. Okay. Well, hey, we have not been overly complimentary of the USGA uh, on this podcast in the past, but, you know, I, I think this is... Well, this Mike is, Davis is... Uh, one of the most handsome men in America. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, they, they, yeah, this is a step in the right direction. Mike, you're you're still kind of terrible, but I guess just not as terrible as before, mm. well, even though you are handsome. <laughs> I mean, we. I'm just waiting for the day the announcement comes back that they're going back to Chambers Bay. <laughs> That'll be a sad day. Uh, uh, I mean, we know we've talked about this. The upcoming USGA schedule, um, in terms of the... Uh, loca- locations that they're going to be having events at is interesting. pretty interesting. I mean, obviously this year they have it at Aaron Hills, another brand new course like they did at Chambers Bay. Yeah, hopefully Jury's out on that one. Yeah, I mean, I am excited, but I'm also a little disappointed because I always assume the USGA is going to be played at a really great historical golf course. Although I mean, you and I sat here and talked about how disappointed we were in Oakmont. Yeah, you know, I guess it didn't really live up to the the potential. But or the I, hype, I, excuse me. That, that being said, it might be just because I'm a West Coast guy and I cover West Coast golf and I pay a lot more attention to golf on the West Coast. Um, yeah, Oakmont just maybe didn't do it for me before it even started anyway. But, but that being said, like, I love Marion. And sometimes I, they, I, would, I would want the U.S. Open to be played at Marion every four years. The USGA doesn't always fuck it up. Like, sometimes they'll go to a course like Beth Page Black, which I think, you know, hey, it's not a it's not maybe one of the world's greatest golf courses, but it really is a great U.S. Open course. Agreed. And I'm yeah. happy every time the U.S. Open's going back there, and that's a public course. And I see what they're doing with the public courses, and that's a good move. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with but that. But you got to be careful about picking these brand con- con- new, brand new and contrived layouts that people can't identify with. I mean, it, these windswept, duny, you know, there's one tree in the whole place, like... That's that's not exactly the kind of golf that people are familiar with. And so if you're going to public courses and you're going to courses that are dramatically intimidating and inaccessible for any ordinary person, mm-hmm. then what are you, are you really going to a public course? So it's not the same thing as going to a public course in the middle of a city or on Long Island where people really can play it and right. have played it. And not get their asses kicked. Well, they might get their asses kicked, but at least they're getting their asses kicked and they can still see it. In a civil built. manner. They can still see sort of the freeway. And <laughs> I'm not saying that you need to see a freeway, but just a lot of these resort destinations, I'm thinking of uh, Whistling Straits and places like that. It's just mm-hmm. only the most hardcore golf people are going there. And so the the public angle of it gets a little bit watered down. Yeah, I wish that, uh, I mean, this is the last thing on, you know, uh, venues that the usga has chosen to host their tournaments i do wish the guys in the pga tour didn't hit the ball so far and that they weren't so good at golf because it's kind of taken some of the best venues off the table but that has left them available for the walker cup which is essentially like the Ryder cup for amateurs um except it's not all of europe it's basically just great britain versus the u.s and they still have you know courses like Cypress Point and stuff like that in the rotation, which I believe is going to host its first USGA-sponsored tournament in 2025, the Walker Cup. Um, man, I'd like to see the guys play out there. Or, you know, so, so, uh, other smaller, now sadly outdated venues. 
like I, th- I want to say like basically the future the, the sites from here going forward for the Walker Cup. Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, I think it's going to be L.A. North in 2017, uh, Royal Liverpool because it switches back and forth. So the next three U.S. courses to host the Walker Cup: Los Angeles Country Club, Seminole Golf Club, which is Donald Ross's Florida masterpiece, which actually just hosted that pro member tournament right after the Honda Classic. Uh, they do that every year, and then Cypress Point in 2025. Well, L.A. North, three of the finest golf courses in the country. Sure, L.A. North is getting the U.S. Open also, which was 2020 or 2021. I think it's 20. God only, God only knows. Okay, so you know that's still on the U.S. Open. You know, even though it hadn't been for decades, uh, still on the U.S. Open radar. Mm-hmm. But it isn't long. No, yours truly played it in a torrential downpour. It is a very cool golf course. Did you but not hit one in the Lionel's backyard? I did. Yeah. I've said that a million times. It's a great story. I mean, not even. Not, it's, not it's, a great story away, it's great. It's a great story that's exactly one sentence long. You know, it's funny. I had a guy uh, on the podcast, um, the guy who does the Breaking 80 site. You know, I guess the podcast went okay, but he played it in a, a downpour as well, like a couple of months ago. It's probably, oh. And he right. said that he saw Lionel Richie in his backyard. Oh, so the guy corroborated my Lionel Richie I bullshit. I think he's actually listened to this podcast. And copied just, and heard about how awesome your story was and was just jealous that he didn't have as cool of an experience out there as you did. I feel like I'm being mocked quietly. Yeah, it's, you know, maybe, maybe he, he just, you know what? He's not invited back. You heard it right here. Sorry, Sean. It was pr- practically a shank that I hit. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to go to these cooler golf courses, uh, the smaller ones. But for a variety of reasons, it's not just the distances that the guys are hitting them it's the crowds it's the logistics you're never going to see right a major champion if they you know went back to the balada ball you wouldn't see a major championship at cypress point <laughs> even if the membership <laughs> wanted it because you couldn't fit the number of people that would need to go to a major onto that course because we're so delightfully off topic i'm going to lay one last thing down and we're then talking we're, about and, the usga and, and then we're going to jump back to the rules they're the rules right. body so is it possible to have an event where you mandate that the pros play with yes other equipment yes it <laughs> is mean, it would be fucking cool too the, the sponsors would go ape shit ape shit it would be it would be the most watched golf tournament great. outside of the masters it would be great. on the calendar like and it, i guarantee you that the best players would still be on the top fuck yeah they would i mean dude you you have a hickory championship where you're be, required to use hickory clubs wonderful and old balls <laughs> You know, wrinkly, wrinkly or not. yeah, <laughs> low. And and you send them out there to Cyprus, right? You send nice. them out to Cyprus Point, well, playing at 6,600 yards from the tips, and you say, let's see who's got it. It's like a video game setting that you're describing. It's so wonderful. <sighs> it would be great. The USGA should probably hire us to make this into a thing. They They need us. You know what the best part of it would be? Is that a guy like Dustin Johnson or a guy like Jason Day would hit it so much farther with the old equipment than the old guys did. It would finally put to rest all that bitching and moaning. I mean, it would be a lot shorter than they hit it now, but it, it would It would still... satisfy all those fucking curmudgeon baseball people that all say, oh, people of my generation, like, you know, it's everything's different. I was like, no, no, this would be a great way to actually see how the players of old compare to today's players if you make them use identical equipment. How, how great would that be? And I think a lot of players do try it whenever they get the chance like Uh if somebody walks on the driving range and they happen to have an old persimmon wood or something which happens from time to time they'll take a couple of swings with it and stuff 
But it would be cool to see an event that they could get ready for, like take a week mm-hmm. of prep. Sure. Um, oh, it'd be, God, it'd be so amazing. Yeah, if it weren't for the sponsors, they might be able to pull it off. I mean, all it would take was mo- all it takes is money, just like everything else in the world. The Hickory or Championships. At least everything else, everything else in America. But <laughs> that would be so entertaining. Oh, it'd be amazing. Who do you think Beyond would win? Amazing. Who do you think would win the Hickory Championship? <sighs> I'm inclined to think whoever has the best looking golf swing. Which I don't know why that be seems Bri- like it like makes sense. Like Bryson DeChambeau, Bryson De fucking jerk off would probably, probably not though. Not he's do so well. calibrated, yeah. Uh, unless he's going to get hickory clubs all measured at the same fucking length and whatever. And he's got he's got to have the shitty old wound balada ball too. I, I'd be inclined to say like an Adam Scott would win, maybe, or Jordan Spieth. I'm thinking like a, a Zach Johnson. Yeah, a Zach Johnson would be really good. I, I almost think Dustin Johnson, uh, his swing. Is it crazy to say that his swing might be too powerful or too... Well, those guys used to cut the ball all the time. It right. still happens, yeah. but th- it would happen a lot more with that old stuff. Well, I remember uh, Rick Vasek in one of the articles that he was writing for Golf Guide in the past, sometime in the past couple of months. He was talking about how it was very rare that you'd ever be able to play a round of golf. I mean, this is even before his time, where you wouldn't go through at least four, five, six golf balls because cutting up the ball and it getting you know jacked up was just part of it. Oh, it was just... Yeah, how it went. Anytime you would hit a wedge shot more than half full with those old balls, you ran the risk of gouging it beyond recognition. And old balls and gouge things. I mean, you and I, you and I, sort of caught the very tail end of the old balls. Like you probably remember back when you were a junior. When I was a junior, I was very much exposed to old balls. Right, right, hitting hitting buckets (laughs) and. There would be these fucking balls in there that must have been from the seventies, yeah, and it had big giant. Yeah, you don't uh, see them in ranges crescent. that much anymore, huh? Well, yeah, because I think they've, petr- they've kind of been filtered out. Petrified. <laughs> but they would have the the sort of crescent shaped smiley face uh-huh. cuts in them from wedge shots, totally. and you rarely see that anymore. Yeah, you see fraying now, but that's not as bad. You know what? Okay, we'll we'll get back on topic here, but I think this is something that you and I should discuss further, and maybe pen a letter. <laughs> to the USGA. You know what? If anybody listening to this is feeling super motivated or compelled by every old the, guy in the, the country making, has sent that letter in. It just but now they have young guys, you know, young you're, successful you're individuals practi- who are wanting the same thing. Maybe it's it's cross generational. You're it, practically like thirty four years old, right? <laughs> uh more or less. Correct. Yeah, right. Yes. Um all right. USGA, we haven't forgot about you. We still have more balls at rest rules. <laughs> Uh, next rule, how to replace a ball lying off the putting green when it moves and its exact original spot isn't known. The current rule is that you drop the ball as near as possible to the estimated spot. Okay. So this, when it's lying off the putting green and it moves and you need to replace it, the new rule is you replace the ball on its estimated spot. If that spot was on, under, or against attached natural objects, Replace the ball on that spot, on, under, or against those objects. Does that make any sense to you? What scenario are they contemplating here? I don't know, but they seem to—they've—they've they've successfully confused me, and I was the one reading this. Did well, they, I, I'm thinking of like something where a guy's shaking a tree to look for his ball, and then the ball falls out of it, and you go climb the tree up again, and you put the ball back in it. Yeah, but like just how do you replace a ball that's not on the putting green when it moves? Um, because of something. Forget it. Let's yeah, move on. Forget that one. Okay. It's too complicated. So now we're going to uh, rules that um, 
center around balls that are actually in motion. These are all ball-based rules. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot of balls. The USJ is very ball-oriented. Yeah. Uh, ball in motion. Okay. Pl- next rule. Player's ball in motion accidentally hits the player, his or her caddy, the person attending the flagstick, or the attended or removed flagstick. The current rule is that it's a one-stroke penalty, except it's a two-stroke penalty when the accidental deflection relates to the flagstick or the attendant. Right? So if it hits the flagstick, it's a two-stroke penalty or the person tending uh, mm-hmm. the pin. Yeah. Otherwise, anybody else, a caddy or a golf bag, it's a one-stroke penalty. Now, nunca. No penalty at all. Play the ball as it lies. And this actually includes putting out with the flag in the hole. You are now allowed to putt with the flagstick in the hole, and it is no penalty. You're kidding me. I shit you not. That's a rule change? That is not. That is probably the biggest rule change from the ones that I've looked over so far. That's what, a pun- what, that, what, that what are your initial thoughts on this? That seems kind of insane. I agree. I mean, but at the same time, you know, it's a it's at a disadvantage to the player. I mean, I disagree. They've always said that having the flag stick in is, in is an advantage. Oh, I I would disagree. I, I think when I'm putting, um, it can stop lip outs. I, I guess to an extent, but it also it, it's taking up precious real estate inside it's the not. hole. Why do this is now going to become a discussion of physics that I'm very, very much players excited about engaging in. Players almost always leave the flagstick in when they're off the green. Really? I, I've always been told, like, I've no. always practiced that, no. hey, if you can take the flagstick out, take it out. No. But maybe... It's the opposite. Really? Yeah, it's the opposite. What's, what's, the, what's the logic for that, do you, do you think? Well, I mean, for, for a minority of shots, it'll stop a ball that's going right across from making it, but that's not usually the case but yeah but i go dead in the heart with every fucking putt that i make so for me that that's obviously not not correct you know and i, and I i'm not i'm not some sort of a peasant just, that fucking scolds my chip shots through the you know well just think about it like it's it's a a rod <laughs> an <Wink>. upright rod <laughs> in the middle of the hole that knocks the ball dead so it, it can't help but make it likelier to make the shot that is a powerful and i'm rod. pretty sure that dave pell's you know who knows what kind of uh, MIT classes he took. But he always says to leave the flagstick in. Um, hmm. The only time you ever see a pro take the flagstick out when they're off the green is when they're playing a shot that, you know, is very much in the air so that it could hit the upper part of the flagstick hmm. or where the hole is at a severe slope and the flagstick is is favoring a direction hmm. so far that the bend in the flagstick would maybe cause the ball hitting the acute side of it not to not to fall in the hole. Interesting. But but every other time the pros leave it in, and the pros always have the option of taking it out, but they leave it in. And the reason why is because it maximizes the chances of the ball going in the hole. So my initial reaction and the question that I have that I want to ask you is: Do you think this means that when these rules are finally legitimately implemented and become official in the rules of golf that we're going to start seeing PGA tour players leave the flagstick in on an eight footer on a 10 footer on a 15 footer. They might not because of habit, but they should. Huh? It's just going to be weird. If that is the case, it's going to be very difficult to it become fuck up with their visualization. Accustomed to watching that. That's, I, I, I don't like that rule at all. I, I don't like it. That, the flag. Think about that it, seems though. like the most dramatic change that, that, that I've read or heard of so far. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. I I wouldn't have even thought that that was a, a possibility. Right. Well, that's I think. It, and Wait a it, minute. It gets back re- to that recreational golfers thing where 
A lot of golfers leave it in anyway. They don't fucking care. They're like, oh, yeah, it's the hole. It's really not that hard to take the flag out, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> you know, how about taking the four seconds? <laughs> um, I mean, that the rule can't possibly be that broad because you could put the flag stick right behind the hole on purpose and let your ball that's going downhill that you miss your putt hit the flag stick and then you, you know, you use it as like a catcher for your putt. That's that's the reason the rule exists. I thought, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm a little bit befuddled by yeah. this rule change. Even though I knew this read, before you, we started doing it, can Here. you quickly read that again? Okay, so uh, again, this is this information. We're getting this from Golf.com, Sports Illustrated's golf publication affiliate. Um, and what it says here is so player's ball in motion accidentally hits the player. Okay, so a caddy accidentally the person okay. attending the flag stick or the attended or removed flag stick. Okay. Uh, current rule is a one-stroke penalty, except it's a two-stroke penalty when the accidental deflection relates to the flag stick in the hole or at the attendant. Okay, so I, I think I have the answer. Okay. This is uh, your your legal dollars at work. Please. The rule says accidentally. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you leave the flag stick in a certain place, expecting it to assist you, that's not accidental. Right. So, so if you leave if, like the flag stick laying on the green as a funnel to the hole, and the same thing as if yeah, yeah, and and similarly if you leave it, you know, in its position mm-hmm. in the hole, and you're on the putting surface, right? That is not accidental. Okay, I would agree. So but, I, I don't but, think that the rule means that you but, can leave the flag stick in on the green. I feel like I heard and I, from multiple sources that leaving the flag stick in while you're putting is going to be something, and maybe this, I this think is people must have misread the rule. Which, you know, that's what people are best at. The USGA, is misreading rules. The USGA, that's why they have to hire attorneys like you. The USGA <laughs> would never have made a rule change like that. And if they and if they find people doing that, then they will reverse it immediately. Okay. And think about it. Like golf is about getting a ball in a hole. It's not about getting a ball in a hole with a big fucking metal thing in the middle of it. The metal thing in the middle of it is just to help people aim from the fairway. Hmm. It's not part of golf. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get there. There may be something that's uh, related to that, but let, let's circle back to this at the end of the podcast to see if any of these other w- rules that we've looked over corroborate or, you know, seem to, you know, make that last rule so in the way that you can keep it in the flag or not. So uh, regarding taking relief. OK, I'd like to take relief right now. <laughs> do, do you need another beer? Yes, I need another beer. Do you want to go grab a beer and I'll pitch the website real quick? Yes. OK, you go grab a couple more beers. Um, so while Casey is getting us a couple more delicious Lagunitas 12th of Never Ales, um, I would encourage all of you to go to golfguide.net and uh, visit the store and uh, buy yourself some play certificates. Um, you're going to save 20 to 70% on greens fees at golf courses in California, Nevada, and Oregon. And just because you're awesome enough to be listening to this podcast, you can use the promo code GGPODCAST and you will save 10% on any and all. All purchases of fifty dollars or more, ten percent, guys. I mean, you go spend five hundred dollars on greens fees, boom, fifty bucks back in your pocket. Don't even think about it. So again, that's golfguide.net. I now have another opened beer in front of me. That w- that was just seamlessly and perfectly executed by you, Mr. Edmondson. So I thank you kindly for this delicious adult beverage. You, well, you're you're a good man. I'm I'm nothing if not competent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the rules here. So uh, this is a rule regarding taking relief. Where a ball must be dropped, okay, when you're taking relief. Okay. The current rule is sometimes the drop is in a specified area. Sometimes it is on or as near as possible to a spot or a line. 
the new rule designates that there will always be a defined relief area to drop in. What does that mean? So when you're going playing in a lateral hazard... And okay, so this is the Tiger Woods at the Masters rule. And they actually have a picture of Tiger Woods dropping a golf ball next to this rule. See, so, look at me. So please please elaborate a little bit more if you can. Uh, it says, under the, under the proposed new rules, players no longer need to take drops from shoulder height. Okay, so that's a bit of a different... A different issue hmm so that's about the method but then there's okay. the question about the area on the ground in which you can drop do you not have the text of the rule so th there's a couple here so taking relief let let's read through a couple of these and we can digest them as a whole because they may be interrelated oh yes. yeah, yeah you can come and take a look at this if you like so um where a ball where a dropped ball must come to rest so the current rule is the ball must be redropped if it rolls to any of the nine specified areas in Rule 20-2C, such as rolling more than two club lengths from where the ball is dropped. Okay, so obviously where a ball comes to rest, if it's not within two club lengths of the place that you drop, you're required to drop again. And is it after three attempts? You yeah, can place then you it? place it. Yeah. So the new rule is the ball must come to rest in the relief area where it was dropped, or else the ball must be redropped. So no longer. A two club length. It's now just a specified drop area, but I, I'm still confused. I, I'm a little how, confused. How is every course going to have specified drop areas for every single hazard or whatever that you may need to go through? So I but, think that this write-up of the rule must be missing the subtlety of it. It must be. Golf Golf.com is usually pretty good. It's the home of my favorite golf writer, Alan Shipnook. He is good. And so, all right, let's read through a couple of these and see if maybe if, if we read through all of them as a as a group, maybe they'll make a little more sense. So, um. How to drop a ball. The current rules you stand, quote, erect. Yep. Hold the ball at shoulder height and arm's length. The new rule. I actually do drop that way. I, 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 you look like a real lame when you yeah. do that, but I do do that. <laughs> I, I've never known any other way to do it, but now that rule has changed as well. So the new rule is the only requirement is for the player to hold the ball above the ground without it touching any growing thing or other natural or artificial object, and let it go so that it falls through the air before coming to rest. To avoid any doubt, it is recommended that the ball be dropped from at least one inch above the ground or any growing thing me. or object. This You're, That's an amazing rule change, by the way. So you can basically just hover, hold the ball an inch above the ground, and just drop it yes. to a spot. That's what that says to me. That is... That is a bold rule that is that is bold that okay let's just keep it so time allowed or so this is all all right i think that that, that wraps it up for kind of taking relief i have um, to make a comment about that rule yeah please i want to hear your thoughts it's not that it's that egregious or anything but that changes things doesn't it certainly because a absolutely a lot of golf is there's a that. lot of variables when you're dropping it from four or five feet off the ground well the bottom line is that dropping a ball is meant to replicate what it would the impact would be if you were to be hitting the ball from somewhere, and this completely changes that. That's exactly agree exactly right, mm -hmm. and so it it just I don't agree with that rule change. It it just it, it gets rid of the randomness that you. It seems very extreme deserve. to me. Play the ball as it lies. Yeah, it is about randomness really but more it, than anything else. It, it gets back to that same thing though that I said right at the beginning of the podcast, and that is most casual recreational golfers. When they drop one, they're fixing their lie anyway. But this is—I yeah. think this is going to have a. a this is going to have a, in my opinion, a terrible impact on the pro game, because all of a sudden it takes, like you said, all the variance and the random chance of a shitty lie out of play almost. Right? If you're dropping it from an inch off the ground, 
how much can I mean how, those how guys really have, have perfectly manicured conditions anyway but for I mean, imagine every scumbag that you play golf with in the leagues, you know, hovering an inch above the ground looking for the the choicest bit of turf. Yeah. I I thought it looked lame before to stand and drop it at shoulder length. But now with guys like, you know, doing a little, you know, Asian squat, you know, where they could be either dropping a golf ball or shitting their pants. It's going to look very strange when you see grown men squatting all over the golf course and dropping balls everywhere. Yeah, I I don't like it one bit. That would make for a good soundbite, by the way. I mean, really, it's dropping a ball from an inch is a lot closer to placing it than it is to dropping a ball from shoulder height. So why don't we just move on to placing the ball or teeing up the ball? Why don't we tee up the ball? Ah, this is a slippery slope. Yeah, I I don't know how to feel about this ball. My initial reaction is that, people- I, is that I don't. Uh, I don't like it, but I, I understand know that, that people play on courses with divots and stuff like that. But you, you, there are divots. You know, your tee shot could end up in a divot. Are you always going to take it out of that? May, I mean, recreational golfers do because they don't play that often. They don't want a miserable experience after their one good drive of the day. Well, I, I I'd get like to, it. But... I'd like to ask everybody out there thinking that, oh, well, yeah, I have a, you know, I, I dropped it into a divot. The people that founded the game of golf when they were playing over in Scotland, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, five hundred years ago. Do you think they were really upset when they dropped their ball into an imperfect lie? I, I bet they They're were. They're playing in a goddamn cow pasture. Like, they were upset. What the fuck? Like, they, they, were, they were people. <laughs> but don't get mad. You know, what, what's that old, uh, what's the opposite of that old saying? Don't hate the game. Hate the player. <laughs> hate the fucking guy who left a divot for you to, you know, drop a ball into. Very true. And also, you know, whatever happened to the good old-fashioned golf skill of figuring out the the best area to drop into. Yeah. I mean, that is a time-honored skill. Sure. I mean, you know, you know, students of physics were at a massive advantage of things like this when you're t- looking at the slope that you're dropping it on, trying to forecast where you're I've always thinking. been very bad at that, by the way. Hmm. Can they can they come up with a rule that changes that incredibly ridiculous, uh, you know, needing to drop on an incredible downslope that the ball could not possibly rest on? I, I don't rule know if, where your caddy has to stand between you and a lake. Yeah, I don't know if they've addressed that, but that would seem like the most obvious uh, of these rules Just to like change if, because if, it, if it is quite in, silly. Yeah, if dropping in a location would be futile, you get to place it. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that would be one way to write it. All right. So this article has, um, you know, it, it's still you know undertaking relief, but uh, this one seems to be slightly different, and this one I think is actually pretty good. Um, time allowed for a ball search. I've uh, heard. I've heard about this rule change. It was five minutes. It's now three minutes. Yay or nay? I suppose yay. Okay. And I think the reason why is because obviously you know let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully among players that are serious, it'll encourage more playing of provisionals, which will speed everything up. Completely agree. And you know if you don't want to lose so many balls then just get better i mean really i mean i i'm speaking to myself that is advice you time. and i could be would do very well to, yeah. to take to heart i mean really for christ's <laughs> sake <laughs> all right uh substituting ball when taking relief um the current rule is that the player must use the original ball when taking free relief with a few exceptions uh, a substituted ball is allowed only when taking penalty relief okay the new rule is a player may always substitute a ball when taking relief it's a little bit too broad. So maybe if you hit it into like a hazard and it's, you know, nicks off a, a tree of some kind and the ball has a scuff mark no, on no, it. No, no, if you hit it you, in a hazard, you could always take penalty relief. 
Okay, so now basically cart path. Uh, cart path. So if it's it's been scraped on a cart path, but it doesn't have anything to do with being scraped. I don't like that rule. Um, too vague. It, it, no, it's not too vague. It, it's just um, it's a random opportunity to substitute a different golf ball in the middle of the hole for for no good reason. It's not, you know, if, if it were the rule that the ball was damaged, but, but it has to it. be when they're taking relief. So you can't. That's, get to, that's what I mean. That's so you random, can't get to the. But green, that's a random. But thing. you can't get to the green. Determine that you'd like to putt with a different ball than the one that you're using, and then go because you're not taking relief of any kind, right? I yes, that's okay. correct. But you know, if most of the time, if you end up on a cart path or if you end up in standing water or in ground under repair, it's a random event. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you get the opportunity to switch to. A high spin ball hmm. or something for your approach shot the professionals are going to abuse that rule absolutely Re regular people it's not going to affect them do you think a lot of pros carry different balls in their bag uh maybe not but now that they know they, they can i would think up until now no probably this, this, probably not maybe this is I'm... an invitation for them to be you know carrying a distance ball and you know, one or two high spin balls in case they have the opportunity to sub one out for an approach shot. I like mean, I, I could think of a DeChambeau character maybe carrying different balls for different shots, but it could be too complicated for people. I don't really see the point, though. Um, mm -hmm. You should be able to replace a ball when it when it has sustained some sort of damage, um, and I think you can. You know, I think that's just a general rule, whether mm -hmm. you're taking relief or not. So I would have just sort of kept that rule the same. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, okay, let's keep going here. Um, let's see. Taking relief for a ball embedded in its own pitch mark. It's always a complicated one. So the current rule is that relief is allowed only in areas cut to fairway height or less. Uh, unless a local rule has been adopted allowing relief anywhere through the green. The new rule stipulates that a player may take relief without penalty for an embedded ball anywhere in the, quote, general area area which is the new term for through the green unless a local rule has been adopted restricting relief only to areas cut to fairway height or less that is a good rule agreed the only thing that fucks it up a little bit is that that one inch drop right so like all of a sudden i'm in deep rough and oh you know it's in its pitch mark it's not in its pitch mark who's gonna second guess that and then you can drop it on the top of some lush rough from an inch so it's not going to sink down and you go from fucked to teed up. There's going to be so many assholes in Wednesday night leagues that just abuse the shit out of all these in here. It's like, you know, I mean, obviously we're talking about some some sort not to of discriminate against Wednesdays, by the way. Every night of the week we'll have you know douchebags you know abusing these rules. I'm only saying this because I'm really really jealous. But if you have time to play golf every week in the middle of the week, I mean, and you're and you're you know under fifty. I mean, just this think is about, think this, about your career. This is a life that we're going to get you into at least a little bit. I, 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 my goal is to somehow help you find a way to be able to play golf at least one weekday in any given week. I don't, I don't think that's you super know, unreasonable, even uh, even no. for a young, you know, I've attorney a, like yourself. I, I've gone from a guy who was so much of a loafer <laughs> that he could play golf every weekday he wanted at any time of the day <laughs> to being completely unable to play on any weekday for any amount of time and so now i get to lord it over people who are even remotely able to play golf because i'm i'm very resentful as you you know as you should be right okay um all right so now uh, this article has gone on to 
quote, areas of the course. <laughs> What's going For on? whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> okay, let's go first one. So replacing a ball on the putting green when it moves from its spot after it already had been lifted and replaced. Didn't the, we just talk about that? Uh, I, for some reason, they have it listed. So let, let's just make sure that it's not the same thing. The current rule is the ball is replaced only if the player or outside agency caused it to move. Otherwise, the ball is played from its new location. Right. The new rule is the ball must always be replaced on its original spot, even if it was blown by the wind or moved for no clear reason. That's a good rule. Yeah. Why not? I agree with that. Let let, let them play from the original spot. Okay. Next one. Repairing damage on the putting green. I think this one is big. I heard about this. So the current rule is a player may only repair ball marks or old hole plugs on the putting green. The new rule allows a player to repair almost any damage, which includes spike marks, animal damage. Uh, it doesn't include natural imperfections, uh, but any of those other things on the putting green, you can now repair. I kind of like that rule. I, I just hope it's not abused. How how do you think it could be abused? Like, what, Well, what? I mean, obviously, the line between... Bad mowing and spike mark is not always clear. True. There's not that many spike marks anymore in the amateur game with mm-hmm. soft spikes, but right. there still are. Here and, and there, it's yeah, also for just sure. like, you know, how, especially how, right around the hole because that's where the most of the foot traffic is happening. But, Mike, but, but, you know, I've been screwed over like everybody has by um, man made imperfections sure. in the green around the hole, and it would be nice to tamp those down. And, the whole idea of the green is that it's a smooth surface, so I I think it's fine. I just want to prevent people from taking a thousand years and tamping down like a a, a aqueduct for their ball <laughs> to travel on to get to the hole. Which makes my my thought was a lot of these rules seem to be focused on expediting rounds of golf. This hurrying up the pace of play. Belief. This seems like if somebody has the okay to repair every spike mark in their line from the ball to the hole. You could see guys sitting there fixing greens for five fucking minutes on before tour, every putt. On and tour, that, that they seems like have, a, I don't know. That seems like a can of worms that maybe would be better left unopened. They need to strictly enforce the pace of play if yeah. they're going to have a rule like that, because they'll take a thousand years to manicure their lines. Have those big giant fucking rollers yeah, right. out there between groups. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> All right, should we go next one? Yes. All right. Um, so this rule is a player touches the line of putt or touches the putting green in pointing out a target. Okay. The current rule is loss of hole in match play or a two-stroke penalty with some exceptions in stroke. The new rule, no penalty. It makes sense that that... So long as doing so does not improve the conditions for a player stroke, that is. It makes sense that they would change that rule if they're changing the rule that we just talked about. Right. Because now if you can repair spike marks, then you might as well touch your line. Everything's fair game. Yeah. And I, I don't think that ever really made that much of a difference anyway. So that's I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that one. And that's a wrap for uh, part one of this episode, everybody. You can listen to part two uh, on wherever place or whatever location you listen to your podcast at. Part two, uh, we finally get down uh, to the bottom of what the rule change was regarding leaving the flag stick in the hole when putting, uh, along with a bunch of other stuff. So make sure you tune back in for part two of this episode of the Golf Guide podcast. And as always, this episode was presented by GolfGuide.net, the best place to save 20 to 70% on greens fees at golf courses all over the West Coast. Uh, So thanks so much, everybody, and until next time, have a marvelous day.